You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Okay, now I wonder tonight, how do you see yourself? How do you see yourself? Um, especially when you've failed or maybe sinned uh, recently. And I don't know if you've done either of those, failed or sinned or come short, but I do wonder kind of how you see yourself. Um, then I thought also, how do, uh, how do other people see you? How does your family view you? How do those around you, your coworkers or your neighbors or whatever the case may be, how do they see you? And then even on a greater question, think about God Almighty. He knows all of your actions. He knows all of your words, every word you've ever said. And then add to that, that he knows every thought that you have ever thunk. Um, that's the Greek way of saying it. Uh, he knows every thought. Now, with that being the case, how does God see you? He knows everything you do, everything you say, how does God see you? That's an, and really, we get down to it, that's the important question, isn't it? Uh, amen. So now, uh, we will address these questions in just a moment here in the book of Colossians, chapter number 1. Uh, first of all, I want to just kind of get us uh, caught up. It seems like forever since I've been here uh, on a Wednesday, or at least that I've been the one preaching. And so I just want to really deal with a couple of verses uh, this evening. Uh, but... Um, I want to just basically do a quick recap. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 23 tonight of Colossians chapter number 1. But when you think about the, the, the Colossian church, there's false doctrine that's come in. The, the great enemy of the church really is false doctrine. Uh, you may think the great enemy of the church is uh, a government that wants to shut, shut down our freedom of speech and things of that nature. But uh, truth be known, folks, and I, I'm not begging or asking for this, but go, go back and look through history on how the church has done when persecution ramps up. I mean, it does pretty well. Uh, now, I mean, I'm talking about in the midst of uh, persecution, in the midst of persecution to the point of death. Uh, the church does amazing, and the church grows during those times. Um, so when I say one of the greatest enemies of the church is false doctrine, it really is. It's something we've got to be on guard for. And, uh, and the false teachers that were coming into the church at Colossae, their false teaching was involving uh, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And folks, what, a, what people teach about Christ says everything about them. You look at the cults and find out who they say Jesus is. Uh, and I just want to say this very loudly and very clearly. Never fall into the, the, the trap when people say, oh, well, they believe in Jesus too. What's always the question you've got to ask when we say that they believe in Jesus too? Which Jesus? Which Jesus are you talking about? Are you talking about the Mormon Jesus? Are you talking about the Jesus that was brothers with Lucifer? Uh, and that he is not, uh, not, a, not the God, he's um, sort of a God. Are we talking about uh, the, 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 the Jesus of the Jehovah's Witnesses, uh, that who is no, no one else other than Michael the archangel? Are we talking about that Jesus? 
Uh, I mean, are we talking about the Jesus of Islam, who's a good teacher and a good prophet? Uh, which Jesus are we talking about here? Uh, and it goes on and on, really. Uh, so just saying you believe in Jesus, uh, that in and of itself, we need to know which Jesus you're talking about, all right? Uh, but but Col the, the false teachers at Coloss in Colossae were attacking the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, uh, what is going on in this great, great chapter, it's just a mouthful. We've been dealing with it for a while, but there's so much to be said. Basically, the thing that he's trying to keep them from turning away from Christ and letting other beliefs diminish who Jesus is, and it's something we must be aware of, is to remember a few things. If I could just wrap up what we've looked at so far, remember who Jesus is. He is God incarnate. He is the Creator. He is the Savior. I mean, He is Lord. So we remember who Jesus is, and there's just great statements about that in Colossians, but it, it'll go straight from Jesus Christ being the one who spoke this universe into existence and by whom this universe is, is, it consists and stays together, all the way from that to the cross. Because he's also the one who went to the cross to shed his blood and die on the cross. So remember who Jesus is. Know who Jesus is. Not only that, remember what he's done for us. And also, as we're going to be looking at tonight, including when we talk about what he's done for us, dying on the cross and rising again. But what did that accomplish exactly? Uh, and, and we're going to look at that a little bit. So knowing who he is, what he's done for us, who we are in him. It's absolutely vital that we know our identity. And then, so now I'm leading back in or coming back around to those questions I asked earlier. How do you see yourself? How do others see you? How does God see you? It's vital that you know your identity. So let's look at these verses 21, Colossians 1, verses 21 through 23, and we're going to mostly be dealing with 21 and 22. The Bible says, And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, I will say a few things about verse 23, but we're mostly going to be looking at verse number 22, uh, that he hath, uh, he hath reconciled uh, out of verse 21 into verse 22 in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. We're going to mostly be dealing with that tonight. And so one thing we need to remember about our identity and what he's reminding us of is remember where you came from. Where did he say we were before in verse 21? We were alienated. We were enemies in our minds from God. Remember where you came from. Uh, but then he goes on in verse 22, uh, and so remembering where you came from, you see our past alienation. We were separated from God. Folks, there was so much distance between us and God that there's no way in the world we could ever make that distance up. But praise God, I'm glad he made that distance up. Amen. Somebody wrote the great song years ago that said, when I could not come or go to where he was, he came to me. Amen. I'm glad. 
that his hand could reach further down than we could reach up. And I'm glad he made the way. So remember where you came from. Remember, remember the pit that God, God dug you out of. And this is important because if you're not, if you're, if you're not careful, man, you, we, we tend to forget how good God's been to us. And we see it over and over again in the, in the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament. People seem to kind of forget. But remember where you came from, our past alienation. But then number two, remember this, who you are. As I said, who you really are, their present reconciliation. And so what we're going to look at tonight is that little phrase is important uh, at the end of verse 22, in his sight. Holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And Because really, when it comes to your who you are in Christ, we need to understand that there's a, our position, our legal standing before God. So we have a, a, a position in Christ, who we are in our identity, and then we have a practical uh, application to the way we live our lives. And we're going to just see that just again in a moment. But we, when he talks about reconciliation, we did not reconcile ourselves to God. It was God who took the initiative in his love and grace. And of course, that's where we preached the message about the prodigal son some weeks ago. Uh, the reconciliation, the father made the effort to reconcile the son and God reconciled us to himself. The father sent the son to die on the cross that sinners might be reconciled to God. Jesus died for us when we were yet without strength uh, and could do nothing for ourselves. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a wonderful thing. He reconciled us. Now, as we see here in Colossians, uh, one of the purposes of this reconciliation was our practical and our personal holiness. Look what he says there. Uh, he says that you'd be holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. And I'm going to keep alluding to the practical side of this and, the, and our walk with the Lord. But he says, if you continue grounded in the faith. Now, lest you get a, uh, a pit in your stomach when you read that big if right there and thinking, oh my goodness, that sounds like a pretty big qualifier. That's the same exact terminology that Paul uses when he says, if Christ be risen from the dead. Now, was that in question, whether or not Christ has risen from the dead? Not at all. Uh, that's not an if. It's not that type of if. It's an if as in just the same way that as in Christ rose from the dead. It's just presumed. Uh, it's, and, and we'll talk more about that when we get into that. But the point is, is that one of the reasons that the Lord saved us and died for us is that we might practice personal holiness. God does not make peace with us so that we can continue to be rebels. We live in a day and age, folks, and boy, if there's ever been a time to where this has been fulfilled or is being fulfilled, uh, Jude, uh, verse number three, I believe it is, the Bible says that there would come a time that they would turn the grace of God, false teachers would turn the grace of God into lasciviousness. And throughout the epistles, really, there was the battle of those that said, hey, we're saved by grace, let's live like a bunch of pigs. And there's still those that preach that today. 
There's people just like the church at Corinth rejoiced in the fact that they were so gracious, that they were okay, that, that one of the standing members in their church was having an affair with his stepmom. And they rejoiced in the fact that, aren't we a gracious church? Folks, there's churches around here right now that rejoice in the fact that they, they, that they embrace sin and that they allow sin up on the podium. Uh, but that's not, that's not a biblical principle, folks. Uh, God did not save us from sin to leave us in sin. He saved us so we could be rescued. Folks, sin is a disease. Sin is bondage. Sin is chains. We don't rejoice in sin. We don't glorify sin. No, we know what it is. Therefore, praise God, He saved us so that we might live lives that would glorify Him. An essential tool in living the Christian life in practice is grasping who we are in Christ as far as our position. All right? So next week, Lord willing, we'll deal more with the practical side of our holiness. But I want to deal more today with understanding our position, who we are in His sight. If you understand tonight how God sees you, yes, the God that knows what you say, knows what you do, and knows what you think. If you can understand how he sees you and you're standing in him, it will greatly aid you and help you in living a life that's pleasing to him. And you won't get frustrated and throw up your hands and just think, man, I'm just destined to fail. I'm just, a, I mean, uh, I'm just a, such a sinful person. These other people got it figured out, but I just can't figure it out. Um, because when you realize who you are in him, man, it's powerful. And that's what we're going to look at tonight. The word holy right there. So he says that he may present you holy. That word holy is closely related to the word saint. Both of these words express the idea of being set apart and devoted to God. Being set apart and devoted to God. In the New Testament, saints are not dead people who during their lives perform miracles or never sinned. Uh, New Testament saints, biblical saints, were living people who trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. So the saints that time and time again Paul wrote to the saints. And so, uh, whenever you, if you ever say, well, I'm no saint, well, you need to get saved then. Because if you get saved, you'll become a saint. Uh, now, I understand we use that terminology sometimes because we think saint means that you don't sin. Or uh, that the cardinals voted that you can become a saint or whatever the case may be. Uh, by the way, man, I'm glad Christ is the head of my church. And I'm glad this Bible is uh, what we go by. Praise God. We don't get to get, to get involved in all this ridiculousness, you know, in so many cases with a bunch of, bunch of perverts that are calling the shots and telling me what I'm supposed to believe. It's just ridiculous. Uh, but I'm glad we're not that way. Christ is the head of the church, and we have the Bible as God's Word. New Testament saints are saved people. So if you're saved, you're a saint. All right? And therefore, I'd appreciate it. And therefore, I'm a saint. And I'd appreciate it if for now on, if you just call me Saint Jesse. 
I want that going out in all of our publications and anything that we send out, you know. I want to just sign it St. Jesse. No, I'm not going to do that because of the confusion of our day. But the fact of the matter is you need to understand that you're a saint. Holy. You're holy. You've been set apart. You've been set aside. Praise God. We've been set aside. Man, just, I mean, just give me a moment. Uh, Brother Alan Barker used to say sometimes, just, will you hold my mule while I shout? I don't know what it means, but uh, it just felt right there. That it's just a blessing to think about being holy. You know why? Because the Bible says holiness is being set apart from a common purpose to a sacred and a holy purpose. Woo! Ain't that good? I mean, think about where we were before. And now we've been set apart for God Almighty to do something for Him. Not just those that are preaching, but everyone who is saved. You're a child of God. You're a saint of God. God Almighty dug up your wretched, sinful hide up out of an awful pit of sin, out of love and grace, and cleansed you with his blood and placed you in Christ and put your feet on a solid rock and established your going. Now you get to live a life for Christ. Man, that's good. You're holy. You're a saint. You've been set apart from a common purpose to a holy purpose. So he says that you're holy. And, uh, and then not only that, he says you're unblameable. He says he did this. He died on the cross. He came to reconcile us so that we might be holy and also that we might be unblameable. Unblameable means without blemish. The word was applied to the temple sacrifices, which had, uh, had to be without blemish. And I'm telling you, it's amazing that God looks at his children and sees no blemish on them. God chose us to be holy and without blame. And spoiler alert, when we ask that question, how does God see you? This is how he sees you, holy unblameable but not only that he says also unreprovable Unbl holy unblameable unreprovable unreprovable means free from accusation free from accusation <laughs> see uh, what how, what do you see when you look at yourself what do other people see when they look at themselves or will look at you what does God see when he looks at you? And if, if you can see tonight what God sees when he looks at you, number one, all of a sudden it's not going to really matter too much what other people see or say. I mean, it matters, but I'm just saying ultimately, uh, if I'm living a life that's pleasing to God, people can say what they want to say. But number two, I want to tell you something. You need to start seeing yourself as God says you are. And if you will start seeing yourself as God sees you, man, I'm telling you, it, it will help you live your life in a different way. It'll help, you, it'll help you take who you really are and start living that name out. Amen? Anybody, anybody ever told something like this maybe when they're growing up? You know, I mean, my last name is Haley. Hey, you're a Haley. You're a Haley. That's who you are. That's your name. There's a certain way that we want you to live or we expect you to live, right? I mean, that, and so, uh, listen, that's the way it is with us. Man, we're a child of God. We're a saint. We're unblameable. We're unreprovable. Therefore, there's a certain way that we can live. Satan is the accuser of the brethren and cistern. 
Sometimes it's funny the words we use, isn't it? Uh, good Bible words, but, uh, but he is he's the, the accuser of the brethren. Uh, he would like to hurl charges at us, and he does hurl charges at us, but God will not accept his charges. Did you know that Satan's name in the Hebrew literally translate adversary? In fact, the words, when you read through the Old Testament, oftentimes if you read the word translated, and it, it'll say that so-and-so had an adversary. That word is the exact same word for Satan, adversary. And, and, and it's the same also with the, it's the same word that's used for withstand. He's our adversary. He's withstanding us. Now, uh, if you would uh, like to turn to these, you can, but I've got a number of verses, so I would encourage you to maybe write these down, just the, the reference and read them later. You can try to turn over there and keep up if you'd like to. But I want to start by reading a couple verses out of Revelation 12, verses 10 and 11. The Bible says, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, uh, saying in heaven, now is come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb." and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. So that verse is future, and praise God, it's going to happen. And I'm going to be there, amen? I can't wait. I cannot wait to see that old sucker cast down. And I cannot wait to see old Slewfoot judge. I cannot wait to see him tremble, uh, come in with trembling knees and fall down before the Lord Jesus Christ and bow down and, and proclaim that Jesus is Lord, uh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Right before he's cast into the lake of fire. Uh, but, but, but the accuser of our brethren, the Bible speaks of there. Now, let's look at a couple instances, all right? For those that have been reading the Bible chronologically with us, um, you would be in the book of Job if you're reading the chronological Bible, as many of us are. And uh, in Job chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, in other words, just as it said there in Revelation 12, he's accusing the brethren day and night. He's the accuser. He's the adversary. Now he's accusing Job. And the Bible says, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? And of course Satan went on to say, You've been so good to him, of course he's going to live you and serve, serve you. But if you, allow, if you start taking away your goodness from him, he'll curse you. He'll curse you. And so the Lord actually allowed those things. And by the way, did you know Satan, uh, Satan has said some, <laughs> Satan had a great proclamation. Did you know that? You won't hear me say that very often. Man, Satan let the cat out of the bag. Man, I mean, just something that's just changed my life. See, God recorded the words of Satan, but here's what Satan said there in Job. He said, Lord, I'd like to get after him. But how can I? Because, Lord, you've got a hedge about him. You've got a hedge around his house. You've got a, you've got a hedge around everything the man owns. I can't, even, I can't even break his fence. 
I can't even hit the, the, that pole and the barbed wire. And if there's, you, you won't let me touch nothing that belongs to him. Ain't that good? Because you know what that reveals? Satan cannot get within a thousand miles of you, or any of his demons can't get within a thousand miles of you unless the Lord allows him to. He, he, can, he, he cannot touch Sam's big toe unless God lets him. Amen? And that's why I tell you, I, that's why I get a little bothered. I know Satan's at work. I really do. And, and, and Paul many times said Satan hindered us. He, he talks about Satan's work, so don't misunderstand me when I say this. But man, some people give the devil so much credit. They're always bragging on what the devil's done. You ever know people like that? Well, the devil's done this, and he's done. And I swear I think they say more about what the devil's done than what the Lord's done. Folks, it may be the devil, but guess who let him do it? My God. Amen. Amen. And so God can't touch a thing. You know that, Natalie? God, I mean, listen, Satan can't touch your dog, Bubba, unless God lets him. You say, why would God ever do that? Well, Job eventually found out and will eventually find out, amen? Whether it be here or whether it be in the air, one day we're going to find out. But the point is, what's Satan doing there with Job? He's accusing him before God. Zechariah chapter number 3, verse number 1. And Zechariah, uh, again, Zechariah is recording what's going on in the temple that Ezra is allowed to go rebuild after they come out of uh, per Babylonian and then Persian captivity. When Cyrus allows them to go rebuild the temple, he's telling us about Joshua, the man who's going to be the high priest in this newly built temple. And here's what the Bible says there. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And the Lord said unto him, Rebuke thee, O Satan, even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? So Satan is resisting. He's standing against. He's withstanding. He's accusing. He's the adversary of this man who is trying to do a work for God. And when you go read there in Zechariah chapter number 3, uh, man, uh, the, 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 the Bible says that he looked down and he realized that his garments were dirty. Now, at the risk of getting ahead of myself here, I want to say something about Satan accusing us. Now, Satan's a liar. The Bible says he's a liar and the father of lies. You say, well, I'm kind of a liar too. Well, then classify yourself. Satan's a liar and the father of lies. But he's a liar, and there's no question about that. But you want to know something? How much does Satan really need to lie about us? I'll be honest with you tonight. His accusations of, about me before God, <laughs> he don't need to lie about me. He's got plenty to accuse me of. He did with Joshua. Joshua stood there, and the Bible records there in, in Zechariah chapter number 3 that his garments were filthy. He's the high priest of God. But his garments were filthy. They were dirty. Now, I personally do not believe that Joshua and even realized they were dirty. But there he is standing in the presence of God, and he looks down, and his garments are dirty. Folks, did you know in that Old Testament temple, uh, you know, that they would, uh, that, 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 the, that the priest would have bells around the bottom of their garments? 
And you know they'd tie a rope around the ankle of that high priest and, and, and those bells, he's in there. It's a testimony that he's in there working when he would go into the very presence of God. You know, jingle, 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 jingle. And, uh, and, but if, if you ever heard jingle, 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 thud. They'd take that rope and they'd pull the old high priest out of there dead as a doornail. I'm not sure what a doornail is and why it's so dead, but that's how they'd pull him out. And uh, so it's important. When you go into the presence of God, it means something. But what you know what God did for old Joshua? Joshua put a, a fresh robe on him. He gave him some new clothes to put on. Amen. And I want to tell you something. When you get saved by God's grace, the Bible says we get on some new clothes, spiritually speaking. We put on Christ. See, once we've been reconciled to God, no charges can be brought against us. Uh, I've got a couple verses that I want to uh, tell you, then circle back around to the idea here about the accuser. But 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, the Bible says, Who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude chapter 1 verse 24 says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Romans 8.33, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now if you would, go with me over to the book of Romans and we'll close by looking at two different passages, I believe, here in the book of Romans. One we're going to look at in Romans chapter number 8. And I'm telling you, if there's a high water mark anywhere, it's, uh, man, I believe it's found in Romans 8. What a chapter. The truths in this chapter. But in verse number 31 of chapter number 8, chapter 8 of Romans, verse number 31 the Bible says, what shall we say then to these things? Now, if God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in, all, in not in spite, but in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Super Nikeo. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, which say nothing else that's created, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, why? Why are those statements true? Because we go back again to verse number 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, we could apply that verse by saying, hey, I'm glad God's on my side. But you know, the more we study the Bible, I don't know about God being on our side as much about us being on God's side, right? But the context, I believe, that's being presented here is a courtroom case. Now, 
Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? We know who that is, don't we? Satan will. He'll try to lay something to the charge of God's elect. Who is he that condemneth? It is Satan that attempts to condemn. The, the, the devil, Satan, is a prosecuting attorney that's bringing up things against us so he can accuse us of filth. We mentioned Joshua. You know, we get dirty. You know why we get dirty? Because we are dirty. Uh, but when, when Satan stands before God, and here we are in the courtroom, if you will, and here we are in the, uh, the stand, and we're the ones being examined for a crime that we've committed, that we have sinned against a holy God. Satan knows that God is holy, and therefore God must judge sin. So as we sit in this place, uh, it, it, Satan says, he's dirty. She's dirty. They've sinned. They've sinned. But God just simply says, no, all I see is the blood. All I see is the blood. I mean, he can accuse us of our faults. Anybody worried this week? Anybody been worried or fearful, been doubtful? Your faults. But you know what God says? Well, all I see is Jesus. Amen. We're talking about what God sees, how God sees you. He can accuse us of the facts. He can say, Lord, I can lay out a case against this guy. I mean, here you stand. Think about yourself here in, you know, you, you've all seen the courtroom scenes. Imagine yourself sitting in this bench. What do you have to say for yourself? Are you dirty? Are you filthy? How's your thought life been? Have you been treating your wife or your husband or your children or your dog? Uh, what, what kind of person have you been? Have you been fearful? Have you been angry? Uh, well, how have you? I mean, you're sitting there, man, and you don't have much to say. <laughs> but the reason that we get into that last part of Romans chapter number 8 where it just goes out the roof, man. I mean, it just gets out of the banks, man. I mean, just the rivers overflow. You know why that is? I mean, when nothing can separate us from the love of God and all that, I'll tell you why. Because go all the way back there to verse number 31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Because here's what God did. The way he reconciled us, it, it was by justifying us. If God be for us, if he be in our place, See, Satan gets awfully frustrated because the judge, God the Father, sits up here and says, oh, no, no, wait a second, the wrong person is in the witness stand. Jesus Christ, will you come please sit in this stand now? Now Jesus is sitting here in my place. No, 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 this, this, trial, is about, this trial is about him. Well, no, no, see, Jesus has already paid for everything this man has done. Not only his past sins, but his present sins, his future sins, every last one of him. Therefore, this man, when I look at this man, it's Jesus that I see. Amen. And there's two types of people in this world, people. There's, when God looks down at people, he either sees Jesus or he don't. And, 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 and what determines that is if you've accepted his pardon or not. There was a man years ago that whom, whom the President of the United States, uh, Andrew Jackson at the time, actually pardoned a man that had been uh, guilty. Uh, he, he was going to be killed. He had the death penalty coming. I'm not even sure if he committed murder, but I know that he'd uh, robbed a mail truck. <laughs> 
and, uh, and, and was changing votes and stuff. But uh, so he deserved it. But no, uh, the, the thing is that he, he, but he, he, was, he was facing the death penalty. So Andrew Jackson pardoned this man. But you, you would, would you believe this? This man refused to take the president's pardon. Matter of fact, it went to the Supreme Court because they said, no, I pardoned you, buddy. But he says, I don't want it. No, thank you. And so they went to the, to the court. Okay, well, the president pardoned him. I mean, do we have to pardon him? And you know what they decided? No. It's that man's choice. And you know what I say today? It's still people's choice. The Lord Jesus Christ has pardoned you. But you must accept that pardon, receive the forgiveness of sins in order to be saved. But here's the good news. If you've done that, how does God see you? He sees you as, his only, as Jesus Christ. He sees you through Jesus. He sees you positionally holy, unblameable, unreprovable in his sight. That's who you are in Christ. That's why who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? You can forget about it. Go over in, the, in this, the last passage I want to share with you quickly in closing is Romans chapter number 5, verses 1 through 11. Again, man, these would be just verses that would be good just to memorize. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Do you have peace tonight? We have peace with God, but because we have the peace with God, you should have the peace of God. But most people, I, I say sadly, that have peace with God don't have the peace of God. But he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, by whom also we have access. So we've been justified, now we have access uh, into uh, the Father by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also. Now, this starts talking about the practical aspect. We glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Again, that's some of the practical points of since we stand in this position, this is the practical benefits. But he says here, verse 6, For when you were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. See, this is before Romans 8. And what he's saying there, justified is a legal term. We've been justified. We have been declared righteous because of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, justified through his blood. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we've now received the atonement. I mean, the fact that we've been brought together, I mean, just in Christ. I mean, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, who is once under the control of Satan. But God, amen, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
for his great love wherewith he loved us. Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together in Christ. By grace are you saved. And he goes on to say how that he hath, uh, that he is what brought us together and, and put us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Man, I'm as good as in heaven tonight. Amen. Why? Because I'm in Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And then the practical part of that is this, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. How do you see yourself? In closing, I'll say, just think about this. You know, a lot of times if people aren't careful, they don't see themselves right because we don't see ourselves the way God. It's important that we look in God's, see ourselves the way God sees us. How many Christians are in the habit of reminding themselves of their past or present sins and failures? Our constant emphasis on our failures deny the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. Think about all that Jesus has done for us. And the fact that you are determined to always go around living like you're some heathen, I mean, as far as your attitude, I'm just so bad and I'm just so this. No, you're not. You're holy. You're unblameable. You're unreprovable. You are a child of God. You're justified. I mean, you've been reconciled. You've received the atonement. You've been washed in the blood. See, you go around telling yourself all the time, well, I just ain't much enough. That's the way you're going to live. You know what you need to start telling? You know, you need to start saying who you are. I'm justified. I'm a child of God. Well, so-and-so don't think I'm that way. Don't matter. God does. And I'm telling you, child of God, will you please, please ask God to help you tonight to see yourself the way he sees you.